Dear Asian Americans would like to remind you to make time for your health so you don't have to lose time for the things you love. An updated COVID vaccine restores protection that has decreased over time, including protection against severe illness, hospitalization, and the worst effects of COVID. If your last COVID vaccine or booster was before September 2022, it's time for an updated vaccine. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hey everybody, welcome back to Dear Asian Americans. Hope you are doing well. We are uh, just a few weeks away from APAM. And I guess before we start, we heard, we hope that you've enjoyed the last 10 episodes that took on a little bit of a different format. Uh, and we want to continue to thank our friends at Toyota and at Intertrend for making that possible. Uh, as an update for all of you listening, uh, and, and for those of you who are new to the show, we are on episode 194. Uh, and uh, just a quick update, um, and, and we'll focus on it a little bit more as we sort of get through the next uh, seven episodes together, but we are nearing the end of the current version of the Asian Americans, and so the next few episodes will be very, very special for me as I get to talk to some friends that I have been wanting to talk to for a long, long time since I've been doing the show, and one of these friends who I've become uh, really good personal friends with, and as we'll share in a little bit uh, more than that from a business perspective, uh, really excited to share uh, this conversation and learn more about my dear friend, Sam Hyun, who is joining us from Boston. Hi, Sam. Hey, Jerry. Good to, good to see you. Likewise. Um, you do a whole lot. And I think, you know, um, to introduce you properly to the audience here, uh, maybe we suffer from the same sort of like, what the hell do they actually do? And so uh, by day, you work for the city of Boston. Um, you recently graduated from the schools of uh, uh, getting your MBA and your MPA. And you're the director of federal relations for the wonderful city of Boston serving uh, Mayor Michelle Wu. You also speak for a living, as I do. You are very active, extremely active within our Asian American community. Uh, recently joined the board of NAP, or the National Association of Asian American Professionals in the Boston chapter. And you and I recently had the honor of becoming business partners uh, in a new shoe company or a sneaker company called 1587. And so you do a whole lot. Um, and, and you're also very much in the public eye, uh, both on social media and in a traditional means. And before we get started, I want to congratulate you again, uh, but here very publicly on being named uh, one of Bostonians, uh, the Bostonians of the year uh, from the Boston Globe a couple years back, which um, to me, I think was super duper dope. And then we're going to talk about sort of what that means to you and uh, particularly your mother. Uh, but uh, welcome to the show. And now that I've introduced you all or the different sort of uh, things that make Sam who Sam is. Uh, tell us about Sam in your own words. Uh, I, I think first, you know, I, I want to give, you know, give, give my flowers to you, Jerry. I, you know, ever since I've, I, I knew about you before you knew about me and, and I've always admired, you know, the way that you've, you know, really fought to amplify our voices before uh, the rest of mainstream America caught on that it might be important to do that. Um, and, and the way that you did it unapologetically, um, but while also like behind the scenes, oftentimes taking the time to mentor people, um, you know, really give us free game. Uh, and, and that in and of itself, like it has such a broader impact on people that maybe, you know, we won't really see for, for many years, um, what the overall impact of that was, but just wanted to give you your flowers to start. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, what most people probably don't know is if, if you thought Sam and I spent a lot of time on on platforms like Clubhouse two years ago, we probably spent more time off the platform talking about what was actually happening on the platform. And, um, you know, 
I, I, I am really appreciative of the friendship and the brotherhood that we have built over the last few years. Uh, the only sort of unfortunate thing is how we came together and and why we ended up spending so much time together, uh, you know, getting together and, and mobilizing the community and um, in, not in our and defending ourselves, but sometimes having to set the story straight and and, and to really um, make sure that we were what we thought was the right thing to do for our community. Um, but let, let's get to know Sam a little bit before, you know, we, we know who Sam is now and uh, so many people look up to you or proud of you and uh, really are genuinely excited for the story that is to be still written about you. But uh, tell us about the Hyun family journey. How did you become, uh, you know, Boston is one of the bigger cities in America, but city that doesn't necessarily have the largest concentration of Korean Americans, as, as we know, um, other than folks who go there to study and, and sort of are, are transplants. But how did you and your family end up in Boston? And then tell us about the earlier days of Sam's life in Boston. Yeah, um, you're absolutely correct. The Korean American population, Asian American population um, in Boston in, has grown significantly since I've, I was born, um, but it's still not comparable to other major cities like New York or LA, San Francisco. Um, but my family came to Boston over 30 years ago, and my dad was here previously. Um, he had been married to another woman um had a had a child with her who's my half older older sister and then um was arranged marriage to my mother um after his divorce with his first wife and so my mom actually really was looking forward to moving to the united states because during the 80s she actually worked as a computer programmer in korea and you know at the time like that was one an anomaly and an outlier but also she was offered a pay raise or a promotion. And my mom looked at her boss and was like, well, you didn't make the men pick. So why do I, I want both. And the way she tells it is she wasn't asking it simply for herself. She wanted to set a precedent for the women that followed her. Um, she had grown up in a family that was not privileged at all. Um, her father died when she was 13. Um, she was the middle child, so she often got the hand-me-downs. She had to walk the furthest to school. Um, although over the years that, you know, the distance that she went to school gets longer and longer and longer. <laughs> um, but, uh, and so all those experiences, I think she made her, she's like, I don't want to raise my future children in a, um, society that was, you know, still built on nepotism, um, was really de dependent on who you knew, what, and how much money you had. Um, and very patriarchal. And so <clears throat> she decided to move to the United States, not realizing that, you know, she was just coming to a country that was very much the same, just bigger um, and, and more diversity um, and, and different and bigger challenges. So that was how we ended up in Boston. Um, but a lot of things that drew her uh, was, I think, you know, what she believed at the time was the American dream. Um, what she believed at the time was opportunity for her her children um, and a better life. Uh, you know, I, I have not had the pleasure of meeting your mom in person. I'm sure we'll, we'll do that at, at some point. Um, but having you share the stories of your mom, both just now and, and some of the, the, the stories that you share on social, um, the things that you do, the things that you stand for, fight for, and advocate for, it, it is of no surprise. And I, and I think it's really... Interesting, um, you know, the, the word progressive comes to mind when I think about your mom, because I think at a time when 
women were expected to behave in certain ways or layering that even with how immigrants are supposed to behave and immigrant women are supposed to behave in this country. You know, she had a fighting spirit that she taught you and, you know, helped her uh, find success in this country that most people aren't expected to do. And so, um, you know, share with us sort of what you learn from her that shapes the work that you do today, because as we'll get deeper as, as we chat, you know, you live sort of in this fine line between public service and building businesses and advocating for people just like I do, sort of in this uh, intersection of commerce and community that is really, really uh, hard to define, mostly because it, we were told that we couldn't coexist in this space. But I think you are one of the folks that are trying to figure it out in a very meaningful and um, inspirational way. But I know you get a lot of lessons and uh, a lot of you know nod to your mother for sharing these life lessons with you. Um, what what did you learn from her? Yeah, no, it's absolutely absolutely right. Um, I think one of the the first things is like you you treat people the right way because you, just because that's the right thing to do. So you know, never underestimate people. Always you know treat people with the respect and kindness. Um, and and something that I've had a harder time learning, and that's something she was better at, which which is not to worry about what other people think about you. Um, and so, for example, like she, you know, she would always volunteer and do things at church just because, not because it was going to make her an elder, not because it was going to get her any titles, because she would turn them down um, when she felt like she wasn't, you know, worthy or felt like she was, you know, that was some, that was the right thing for her. Um, but she did it because she just wanted to serve and wanted to make sure that she was doing her part to contribute. So I think the mindset of why I do things is largely derived from that, where it's like, I just do the, I try to do the right thing and try to help folks just because, just because not, there's no other angle. There's no other, you know, ulterior motive. It's like, why not be kind? Why not, you know, put people on game if I, if I can, um, and be like, Hey, like this was my experience and this is, you know, this is how I got to this opportunity. Um, so that's one thing. The other part was when I was younger and I was really getting embarking on, I think just like my public service journey, I was like, mom, like I need to find my, my, my team. I need to, you know, develop my voice, et cetera. And like, I needed to like everything that, how do I get my, my message out? And she looked at me and she was just like, you're, you've got it totally backwards. She said, when you have something of worth to say and you have something of worth to give, people will come find you. So, you know, essentially don't, don't worry so much about getting people to know who you are, getting, trying to like, you know, get the spotlight shined on you. Like just put the work in, deliver, execute, um, and, and have something that people can really, um, gain, gain something from and learn something and take from and, and the rest of it will take care of itself. And how have you navigated that space? Because I think when we look at the Sam Hyun story as as it sits in, in 2023, and, and of course, uh, far more of your, your story to be written than uh, thus far, um, you have demonstrated an ability to enact that change and uh, make change in, in the public sphere through your academics, through your involvement in politics, and then now you're serving the city of Boston. Um, but 
you also realize that that's not the only way that things get done, right? And so leveraging your voice, you know, working as a keynote speaker and, and doing things uh, and pursuing opportunities that, you know, uh, isn't seen as, as such uh, traditionally from a, uh, serving the public perspective. And again, I, even the way I say it, I think I realize that we've been, we've been taught that good, doing good and doing well are something that isn't supposed to coexist. And not to say that we're, um, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is how, how, how do you struggle if you see it as a struggle or how do you balance that sort of delicate public serving side of Sam and also the ambitious side of Sam from a traditional business sense to make an impact and to, you know, take care of your mother and take care of, you know, yourself and your future family? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good question. Um, it's something that I think I, I, I'm always, I want to always struggle with and because I think that holds me accountable and makes sure that my, my why is still centered in, in where it should be, as opposed to having the, oh, I've already answered that question. I'm just going to keep on doing whatever I want to and, and not struggle. So I think that struggle is a good thing. Um, and so for me, it comes down to how impact and impact is done in so many different forms um impact in the sense of you know oftentimes you see people in public service or in the nonprofit sector people that are serving so to speak and there's this narrative that we are boxed in into who we can be and who we should be but the reality is i think every single one of us wants to have a, a purpose and, and sense of self-worth and and the reason why so many of us enter into public public service is because we want to give back but that shouldn't have to come at the cost of our own individual freedoms and our desire to grow and be who we want to be and express ourselves. So it never, it wasn't starting off as a manner of wanting to expand or impact business. I, I never thought I was going to be, you know, a co-founder in a, in a business, but I think for me, it was like just trying to continue to find different ways to grow and experiment and try things and break the mold of, of, of what people told me what I can be and should be. And that has led me to this place. Um, and I think using my voice and figuring out like what is actually going to be good for other people, um, but also like, what do I want to do? What brings me joy? I, I think that's wonderful. Um, it, it's hard and we're still trying to figure it out, right? And I think this whole balance also goes in, in line with what you shared earlier about sort of, sort of drowning out the naysayers or the the doubters or the people who, um, you know, say things and the, the word should of, hey, you can't do that and that, or you did this, so therefore you have to stick in this lane, or you have ambitions to be somebody later, so you can't do that. And, and I think we get to rewrite what that means for us. And we've been doing a lot, I think, of rewriting or at least the attempt to redefine what it means to be Asian American in this country to, you know, really to, to rewrite the narrative of who we want to be and who we get to be. Uh, you live in a city and you serve the city of Boston that, you know, again, doesn't have a whole lot of Asian American representation, uh, traditionally speaking, and is, you know, is, is sometimes perceived to be not such a diverse city where a place, a place where people who look like us don't get to thrive. Uh, you serve a mayor who is uh, Taiwanese American and who is the first woman of color to serve the city. And obviously a huge deal 
uh, in and of itself, but in a city that, you know, maybe not so long ago would have supported that notion in the first place. Um, tell us about that journey and, and why the time was right for you to uh, serve in the administration, why you think it's different and why you remain hopeful, uh, particularly at a time when, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, um, you know, fatigue and sort of distrust of institutions are, you know, maybe not at the highest it's ever been, but certainly uh, seems to be more talked about than than not. Um, We'd we'll love to get your perspective on why you continue to have faith in, you know, the traditional uh, systems of politics and particularly in your city. Uh, <clears throat> this is a really pertinent question. Um, yesterday, I was at a, a town hall and at that town hall, there was a lot of a couple several groups that you know protested and and used their voices um, as citizens of this country have the freedom to do so um, to express it. And whether I agree with them or not is is not really important. The reality is like the frustration that they were voicing, um, I think, is a reflection of I think where many people are. And Congressman Ayanna Presley really you know nailed it, which, which when she said, you know, there's not a single law that I can pass right now that's going to fix all of our problems. There's not a single law that any member of Congress or the president can pass that's going to entirely change the system and and build it up to what we need it to be. But at the same time, us acknowledging and accepting that reality should never stop us from trying to build a better world. Because at the end of the day, if we continue to allow the status quo to persist, more and more people are going to suffer. And that should be unacceptable. So... I think that's one of the main reasons what drives me to continue to stay as I've learned and seen how the system truly operates and how the mechanics work is the fact of like, you know, we're, we're at a tipping point, I think in society where if we don't make drastic changes right now, and if we don't collectively move and build together, then we are going to suffer incredibly um, in the not too distant future. And I want to be at the forefront of making sure that, that we're moving in the right direction. Now, to answer the part about why this administration specifically, um, the, the way that the mayor has operated both publicly and privately is is why. Um, when I was you know, much younger, in my very beginning of my po- political career, um, she opened doors for me and, and brought me to the table and gave me opportunities that you know, I never imagined would be possible. Um, I was in the room with folks who you know, were well, much more well-established and um, didn't have to accept me being at the table, but yet they saw the same vision as she did and said, we need to build with different generations and build that coalition. So she also, what she did for other interns was like, she had more interns than any other, you know, legislator that I would, I would typically see. And when you talk to those interns, they all share the same common story, which is we were actually given work and we were actually given inspiration and purpose. Um, not to Not to mention like the way that she understands um, and builds isn't just from an ideological visionary standpoint, which I think is important. She's very pragmatic about what is possible and what is achievable and is not interested in doing victory laps for every possible thing we could, we could possibly celebrate, but rather did the community actually tangibly feel it? Um, and if not, then we need to go back to the drawing board. So for all those reasons, I think she's a transcendent leader. Um, and, someone who has made a really big impact on my life, uh, impact of so many others. And I wanted to be a part of an administration that was going to inspire not just Asian Americans, but 
um, people in general that there is a more hopeful uh, future for all of us. I think one of the words that come to mind when I think about you and, and particularly the, the content that you create is is conviction. Uh, conviction is, is hard to come by and even more hard to display publicly when you're, you're putting it out there for the world to criticize and to respond to, uh, particularly whether it is in your position or as the mayor's position, somebody that is highly public. Um, how do you deal with that? What are some lessons maybe you have learned from Mayor Wu and, and other leaders? It's not difficult to start second-guessing yourself. It's not difficult to start thinking, what if they are right? What if I am wrong? Uh, particularly on these topics where it is really complex. And uh, as you just mentioned, there, there's nothing really that's going to, you know, we can't do anything in the short term that's going to fix everything for everybody. Um, but we can't really seem to agree. You know, there are, uh, for example, to, to make light, people who don't believe the world is round, where it's like, that is one of the world's most universal truths that we live in, in a sphere. Um, and, and so we can't, we can't, there's not a single thing in the entire world that we can get 8 billion people to agree on, apparently. Uh, and, and as things get a little bit more closer to home and as things get a little bit more personal and uh, local, you know, people disagree even more at, at the spectrum. Uh, how, how do you know and how do you uh, stand firm on the things that you believe and, and deal with the criticisms that come your way? Oh man, um, I've I've definitely had to go through my own journey of dealing with it. Um, it it honestly, it's really hard. It's really really hard, um, especially when you're like, you know, my intentions were so good, you know, like I'm out here like trying to help people, and like when you're younger, trying to like figure out like why in the hell is somebody criticizing me? Like, you know, what did I do to you? <laughs> like, what, you know, and. And so I think it's, it's one, I think it's always, I've always tried to be really self-aware. Um, really, I'm my harshest critic. Like any, no matter what, like anybody criticizes me for, like, I'm like, I promise you, you're not criticizing myself, me as much as I do myself. Um, because I, I think part of it was when I was younger, I was always bigger. So whenever I moved, I real I learned really quickly, like how my actions impact other people. Um, and that was something my mom also, I think, tried to like drive home in me also it was like, you're the older brother, like what you do, your younger sister's watching you. So um, that self-examination, I think, was always important. Um, but then also the conviction comes from that you have to have faith and you have to believe in what you're doing in order for you to continue to move forward and trudge through a lot of the criticism. But then further to expand that out, like I, I really try to take time to listen to people. And take the time. It's like, are you constructively criticizing me? Like, are you, like Jerry? If you were ever coming and sit me down and be like, hey, I got something to talk to you about. Like, I know, like, where you're coming from is like, you're trying to like, be like, hey, like, this is what I see. This is where you could be better, and this is this is why. And like, and having the people around me that are willing to do that, like, pull me aside, like, privately, and be like, hey, like, you know, this is where I think you could be better. Um, I really try to surround myself with those people. Um, because I know I'm not perfect. I know I have a lot to learn and grow and, um, be better at. And, and so I think every day I have just like frameworks of like in the morning I wake up and I'm like, all right, cool. Like this is a new day. Remember to be self-aware, remember to be humble. Remember that it's not about you. Like these things that I keep on telling myself 
and, and kind of really draw on. And I think that helps me a lot with my conviction because I know I put the work in to be where I'm at. On, on a related topic, this is something that's been like on my mind quite a bit. Um, personally, because I turned 40 in five weeks and you start to think about life in a whole different way when you hit such a big milestone. And, and particularly being both Korean American men, this notion of... Uh, who's older, who's old enough, who's smart enough, when do you become the adult when you're always seen as a kid, especially in family settings where obviously we age with the people that we grew, always looked up to. I, I've quite struggled with feeling, when am I the leader? When do I get to be seen as the adult? And, and I think in my late 30s, in the last couple of years, especially after having kids, when that is obviously a, a different uh perception of social level of you being a parent uh, and, and therefore being seen as an adult it is something I continue to uh, not struggle with, but think about constantly because, you know, you, you want to learn from people who are older than you and you want to hang out and you want to be mentored by. So you continue to, um, and, and we all do have older mentors in our lives and, and they always see you as the younger brother or Dongseng in, in our language. And um, I think it's one of the most difficult things that we don't, talk about like when do we become like you know and again it's not an age number and it's different based on what people go through but i i think it's the the balance between humility and conviction and when we get to be rightfully uh be seen and to think of ourselves as um adult enough to stand on our own especially within our very um uh hierarchical and uh, Confucian-based stru social structures and cultural structures of uh, there are people who still see me as the kid because they're older than me. Um, but hell, I'm turning 40 and I got two kids. Like, it's it's weird. And, and I think it adds another layer to the challenges that we face when we navigate the American corporate, political, academic landscape because we always have to be, like you said, this... this um, tool called self-awareness becomes even more important because we are more aware of everything that we do say or don't say and don't do and the perceptions and the repercussions of those actions or inactions. And and, and I wonder for you, because you play in a, in a public space and uh, navigating both culturally and, and socially and in so many different uh, lanes of life, um, what are some of the lessons that you continue to learn in that in that regard? Um, I think the, the biggest lesson that I've really focused on doing is, you know, as I've gotten older, is like ask questions, like, don't be afraid of asking questions and, you know, being quote unquote wrong or not knowing something. Um, and that you don't have to have, like prove yourself as like the smartest or most eloquent or most, you know, whatever in the room. Um, I think I've learned that from my first boss where, you know, he's, you know, longest serving speaker in master's history, but he was always asking me questions. Like he was like genuinely trying to learn from me, recognizing he was like, I don't know everything. So that's one thing. And I think that then translates to like, as I'm talking to like Gen Zers, you know, and like the way that they, you know, view marketing going into the future the way that they view communication and connectivity um with 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 people on the online sp uh space 
like guys like the guys at 12 Pell or like I was talking to some of the kids, you know, these they're like they're kids, they're 21. So they're not kids, but uh, the North Star boys, you know, who have caught, caught in their own fire um, for, you know, stuff that they did that was well-intentioned, but perceived very differently online. But the way that they understand different tools and the world and the way that the direction is going, like I, that I don't understand. Shame on me if I'm not listening to them and having the humility to l- want to learn from them just because they're younger, that I, if I don't do that. I agree. Um, you know, you, you and I both play in the social media space quite a bit. And um, uh, I, I've been told I'm pretty cool for an almost 40-year-old and understanding how different generations think. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think that curiosity keeps us young. And, and I wish that more, uh, particularly in our communities, um, I, I don't need to tell people to be humble, but I want people to be more curious and, and understand instead of uh, dispensing judgment to understand, try to understand at least, or um, understand why people might just see things a little bit differently. Um, and so I, I you know, it, it's a, it's a never ending thing. Uh, this, this, you know, transitions and changes that we go through life and, and new experiences, um, you know, just throw, uh, you know, curveballs at us. Um, speaking of uh, new experiences, uh, as, as mentioned earlier, uh, you and I are co-founders in a very new fun venture, uh, for the both of us called 1587, which is a nod to uh, the ta- the year uh, that is believed to be the first uh, Filipinos, Asian or Asians uh, of Filipino descent uh, landed in what is now North America. Obviously, in 1587, there was no America um, in, a, in an area that we now know to be Morro Bay. Um, and, you know, working with our friend and partner, Adam King, in, in creating a shoe company that is uh, for us and, and by us and to really celebrate some of the things that make our culture special, uh, hopefully that will make our community feel uh, represented and to be seen and really for us to build something that, um, you know, uh, isn't often done, which is to build a, a ground up brand from the brand name to the team to some of the things that we want to stand for. Uh, that are all sort of interwoven into the community, um, and and I got him and I met Adam through you. So a big thanks to you and and sort of how that all played out. Um, how how did you decide to get involved? And and you uh, for for two reasons. Uh, one, uh, you are in Boston, which is closer to where Adam is, and two, you are much younger, skinnier, and more handsome than I. So you make a much better model. Uh, have been the the, the face of the brand, literally, uh, along with our other business partner, Sarah. Um, how did you decide? Why did you decide to get involved? Um, and, and what are some of the things that um, keep you excited about that? Yeah, I, I think the opportunity for us when I was thinking through, you know, what this means, and it kind of occurred to me, you know, that being confident means that you don't have to explain yourself to anybody. And so when you, you know, wear a shoe and you wear 1587, that you can be proud of being Asian American and express our culture and celebrate our heritage and our identity without having to explain to anybody else. Like every single step that you take is you're walking in your power. And for me as an Asian American, I feel like I've constantly been 
silenced and told and who I can and can't be, you know, and a line that I say all the time, which is, you know, there's a difference between not speaking up for yourself and being told to shut up. And there's a difference between not standing up for yourself and being told to sit down. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, the Asian American experience, which is being the invisible race. Um, so, you know, a sneaker brand is very visible, like it's on your feet. It's something that you, you know, can talk about um, when you meet people and try to connect with people. So that was one of the reasons. Um, the other reason was when Adam was telling me, you know, his experience in the sneaker industry and how he was constantly told that Asian Americans aren't worth marketing to directly because we're followers, um, that we just follow trends, that we're not leaders. And that has always driven me crazy because if you actually know and exist and, and connect with our community, you know that that is absolutely not true. Um, some of the greatest leaders in this country, literally the very first woman of color ever to be elected to member to Congress was Patsy Mink. Um, you know, someone like Norman Mineta, um, the pioneers in different industries, like the CEO of Yahoo and um, Jerry Yang. And, and like, there's just so many different pioneers that we can think about um, that have exhibited leadership. Um, the, the leadership skills of soft power, you know, that like, that have come from the Eastern part of the world that the Western, Western um, world has adopted. So you can't tell me that we're not leaders, um, but you just refuse to make space for us because you're, you feel threatened by us and we make you feel insecure. So those are some of the reasons. Um, and, and also like as a kid, like I always sketched sneakers. Like I always like, you know, loved sneakers. It was something that meant a lot to me as a kid because we were poor and we only got one new pair of shoes a year. So like I you know was thinking about like you know the, the T Mac twos, the white the white ones were like my favorite shoes growing up. So um, to again be doing something that I never thought was possible, to be doing something that we kept being told that we're not worth being a part of, um, I couldn't pass up that opportunity. You know, I think it's funny because shoes, clothes, they all sort of uh, as immigrant kids. Um, you know, it, it played a role, I think, quietly and, and silently in this goal towards assimilation that our parents wanted for us to keep us safe and to not feel unwanted. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting, regard, regardless of what part of the country you grew up in, you know, when we when, when you come here, you're one of the easiest things to not stand out is to dress like everybody else. And so what do you do? You just wear the clothes that most of the other kids are wearing, or at least you try not to wear the things that you're going to get ridiculed for. And um, as taste changed, as pop culture has changed, I think, you know, by and large, that became like streetwear uh, for a lot of Asian American kids that became like cool basketball shoes or things that were quote unquote mainstream. And, and, as we sort of enter or continue down this era of reclaiming our identity and community and, and feeling powerful in, in who we are, I also think that there's this space in clothes, in the things that we put on our physical bodies that can also play a role in helping us navigate and discover some of these new found areas of, hey, that's me too. And then, hey, that's where I can feel like, I can be proud of myself, right? Because to say that 
cool or to be accepted, you have to wear Jordans or to be cool, you have to wear Allbirds or any sort of thing. Where does that leave room for us to be us? And again, none of this is to demonize the groups that we're trying to assimilate into, but they hold uh, power and influence into dictating what is acceptable, what is cool and, and, and what is, you know, uh, literally like American. And so, you know, I think we live in an era right now of a massive bloom of Asian American entrepreneurship. Much of it has been in the food and beverage space. There is a growing movement towards, uh, streetwear brands, a lot of, you know, printed tees and hoodies and, and things like that. There are other brands that are, you know, doing head to toe stuff. And, and, um, really, I, I think it's cool more than anything else for us to, uh, play a small role in, in that movement, uh, because you're right. And I, and I think footwear, uh, is interesting too, because that's something that you can wear every day. Right. And that is something that, uh, you literally helps you uh, navigate the world. And so, um, you know, this show has always been about the story. And so, um, to be, to be fair, uh, on episode 194 of all times, this is the first time I get to talk about a thing that I am a part of. And so, um, you know, if you think the shoe's cool and you want to support Sam and my business, we'd appreciate you checking us out, but this is not a, an hour long infomercial about the shoe company. Uh, the reasons I decided to be a part of it is is similar to Sam. Um, you know, the product is a product, but I think the opportunity to craft a story and to craft a brand and to uh, and to build something that uh, looks and feels like us, similar to this show, where we can't pursue or achieve exhaustive representation on something called Asian American, but we have to do our best to feel sufficiently representative and in making people feel um, seen and heard for the first time. And, um, you know, especially as you build something uh, to sell, you can't make something accessible to everybody. And, you know, uh, learning the business lessons behind the scenes of, of sort of navigating that space. But um, I, I also want to share this story uh, of what we're doing to help inspire somebody who might not think it's cool or that it's even possible to create a whole damn business anchored around our experience and our community. There are a lot of successful people in an, in our community, in our circles, who have literally built powerful, successful, uh, family-changing businesses rooted in our food, our story, our ideas, our beliefs, and even, for me, our stories. And so uh, whatever you consider true to yourself as you uh, navigate. I, I think that's really important. Um, what's what's next? For, I don't want to say what's next for Sam, but um, what, are, what are some of the things that you want to do? Um, you're still uh, younger than me, so young. Uh, you've done a lot so far. Um, I, I know you have great ambitions in, in a lot of different spaces, um, but, you know, uh, you know, even just to take speaking as an example, right? Like you and I both speak as, as professional speakers, um, you know, what would be a, a, a goal of yours, a place or uh, an event to speak at that would feel like your story would carry great impact? Um, professionally, from your day job perspective, what are some of the things that you want to pursue one day? And, you know, how, and I know you've made your mom proud already, but like, uh, and, and she's cried when she's heard happy news about you. Um, 
what would be sort of what's on Sam's uh, bingo card or vision board? Um, you know, I'm just gonna add the caveat that like I think it changes, you know, as I as I learn more about what's possible and what's not. Um, but you know, certain things like you know, for speaking, like it'd be, you know, it's always been a goal of mine to eventually, you know, do a TED talk, you know, like um, on like the big stage, and um, you know, maybe that time will come when, just like my mom said, when I have something worth to say. Um, you know, other things are, you know, I'd like to write a book one day, um, then tossing around it, you know, trying to learn how to do it, um, learn the process, you know, asking people now who have been authors, like, hey, like, how do you, how do you do that, you know, and learn from them? Uh, maybe even, you know, have my own TV show one day, um, who knows? Um, You know, it's if so. Like, I think it's also like you know, what you know, you never know what kind of opportunities and partnerships become possible as you keep on doing the work. And I don't want to limit myself to anything. Um, you know, I for ten first ten years of my career, it was you know very much so head in the sand. Like, I'm going to run for office one day. That was like my main objective. But at the end of the day, no matter what it is, I want to be somewhere where I'm making an impact. Um, and if I'm if I don't feel like I'm making an impact. Then it's time. Then that's always my barometer for it's time to move on, um, and and that will always I think be my like guiding star. It's like, am I making a, a real positive social impact, um, and and is this the best place that I can be doing it? I think that's a good way to look at it, man. I, I think as as long as I have have used to believe that you know there were things that I wanted to do to check the box and and to feel good. Um, I, I've shifted that thing into what is the impact I want to create and does the method of the impact continue to change and evolve as, as the world changes and, and also gives us new opportunities to create that impact. Um, this has been fun. Uh, you know, this has been fun. I, I was sharing with you before uh, the, the series of 10 Toyota episodes took a completely different uh, uh, planning and production schedule. And so it, it's been really a few months since we have done, you know, a, a virtual uh, a traditional format conversation, and that has really, really uh, been fun. Uh, as we wrap, and I know you and I genuinely believe in the power of community. Uh, we belong to many organizations together, uh, namely being the Council of Korean Americans. Um, and, and Abe Kim, their executive director there, uh, will be a guest on this show in a few episodes. How do you, as somebody who is looked up to as a leader, who is sometimes relied upon or expected to be the solid foundation of resolve and of uh, direction in challenging times, but also somebody who is uh, publicly seen as somebody who, again, needs to help others. How do you stay grounded? How do you find times and uh, opportunities to take care of yourself and to nourish yourself with inspiration, motivation, and, and peers who continue to do uh to continue to help you do what you do um it's gonna sound like super cliche and like super korean but uh my you know i think my faith is really important to me i'm I'm not like overly vocal about it because i i don't think you know i'm not a big fan of of that like i think your faith is your faith and and what you know grounds you to what grounds you but for me like the big the big takeaway that I'll, i'll i'll keep it short is you know when I'm 
spiritually aligned, I take myself out of the center and it's not about me. Therefore, a lot of the challenges that I, I go through, like it's, it doesn't feel personal because it's not about me. Um, when I put myself in the middle, then like if everything feels personal like, you know, and, and it can be more painful, but like, honestly, like that is something that like really helps me. Um, and I, you know, overall, like just making sure that like, I'm constantly just tapping in and being around people that, that, that fill my spirit, fill my cup. Um, I think, you know, when I'm, you know, when I get to work with you, Jerry, like, I know we have the same vision and goal and like, I'm always like constantly learning from you and, um, and, and you push, push and challenge me in ways that I need it. So like, that's like, for me, like, is almost like kind of like the reverse, but feels like rest because I feel so excited and exhilarated. Um, but like, I am trying to work on resting better. I, I make sure to, you know, that's why I think I work out and, and I eat well and I try to like get a decent, you know, reasonable amount of sleep. Um, is I, I still treat everything like an athlete. Um, so I train like an athlete so that I can keep on doing the things that I want to do. Um, but I, I, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing I need to definitely take more time um, and like physically rest. But uh, yeah, mo mostly I think it's just like, you know, I've been really fortunate that throughout my life, I've been able to network and, and build some really awesome people in different, different walks of life um, and, and to be able to learn from them and, and be inspired by them. Yeah, that's another part of your life we didn't we didn't talk about. Uh, you used to play baseball in college, and which is again uh, a thing that we don't typically see people who look like me and you do. And even when we see uh, Korean or Asian baseball players in the major leagues, they are generally uh, not born and raised here. Uh, they are uh, professional players from Korea and Japan, namely that come to play at a different level. Um, and so I, I think that's also. Uh, given you different perspective and the ability to thrive in different situations that help you uh, currently navigate these different uh, challenging things. Um, yeah. A anything else you want to, um, I never asked this on the show, but like um, I, I feel like you and I could probably talk for another three or four hours as, as we sometimes do. Um, uh, what, what is, I, I guess, you know, uh, before we wrap with the standard letter, um, what are, what are some things that, um, you want to see the community, uh, come together on, um, we're, um, in the middle part of 23, we're just around the corner from, uh, what all, all signs point to yet another, um, you know, intense, passionate presidential, uh, election next year. There's going to be a lot of local and, and state elections that will, divide us that will hopefully um, motivate our, our community to go out and vote um, seems exhausting in, in a sea of constant terrible news but uh, what are some of your wishes for the community as as we um, you know continue down both challenging and also glorious wonderful times of us sweeping the Oscars and us having the number one show on Netflix and people who look like me and you uh, being praised and awarded for a whole lot of different things that we never thought possible. I, I think number one is like everything you just talked about, you know, take the time to celebrate it. Right. And like one thing I what oh, drives me nuts though, is like, I wish we would really examine um, the crabs in a barrel mentality that we have. And this isn't just like, you know, the Asian American experience, but I think every community experiences this. Um, but like us, like really understanding that, like, 
you know, the, the scarcity mindset that we were forced into having, you know, um, whether we're Korean and it's like literally scarcity of resources, um, you know, for us to really examine why we do that and to break that mold and realize that there's so much opportunity for all of us to be our full selves and reach our full potential. Um, and that like, you know, we don't all have to be best friends. We don't all have to, you know, uh, go to each other's family dinners and sing Kumbaya with one another, but we also don't need to tear each other down. We also don't need to be the one that's intentionally standing in the way of somebody getting an opportunity. Um, and, and I think those are ways that I wish we would really examine and be honest about um, that, that we do all the time. Um, and, and as we move into the future, like that, you know, if we're going to build a better world for all of us, then we have to collaborate with one another. We have to um, make space for one another and we have to be open-minded and open-hearted to the fact that like, you know, accept all of us for our differences and our, and our uniqueness and in, in totality um, and to not pick and choose not to, you know, to break from the, the clickiness and break from the, uh, the parameters of which we've kind of, you know, just set for ourselves. So, um, and unleash the full potential of who we are. That's beautiful, man. Um, there's so much work to be done. Sometimes it's depressing, but we have to keep on. Um, so as we wrap, um, I'd love for you to share your thoughts, your inspirations, your, uh, collective uh, asks of the community uh, in the form of a letter. Uh, this show, um, as, as is mentioned at the top of the show, as, as we wind down this particular chapter of, um, was really started to write letters to my daughter, to our kids, ourselves, on stories that we didn't know existed, stories that we were told didn't matter, and stories that today are currently trying to be silenced by certain people in this country that don't see us as American, that believe that our stories shouldn't be told. Um, and so would love for you to help us finish out the show and share what you, is on your mind by completing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. Dear Asian Americans, as I sat here and tried to write my thoughts out of who we are, who we can be, where we are and where we're going to go. Often it comes down to identity and what that means. I think the beauty of identity is it's something that's constantly changing and forming and shifting and something that we have to try to find that the beauty in each and every day. So to my Asian American family, I want us to all recognize that every single one of us is worth it. Every single one of us is needed. Every single one of us has to be part of the incredible fabric that makes up the Asian American community in order for us to each be our full selves and bring that full potential to the forefront because it's not just that the world needs it, but we all need it. And that we need to continue to try to draw inspiration from one another, from the past, the present and the future continue to understand that we are not alone in this journey, continue to understand that there is always more that we can do together collectively. And that if we take the time to learn our, each other's perspectives, learn our stories, see each other in our fights as our own, learn to open our hearts and, and put down our guards and understand that 
despite the challenges that we may have faced and despite the pain that um, we have experienced, that there's always more room to build and that there's always more room to collectively join together. So to my Asian American family, know that you are not alone. Know that you're always loved. Know that you're always needed. And know that we're going to build this world together. Thank you, Sam. And we have needed you in the last three years as we have navigated many, many difficult and challenging days uh, through your work independently, but also through your work with our friends at Hate as a Virus and other organizations uh, of which you have been um, a much needed and welcomed voice, uh, sometimes of reason, of passion, of tough love. Um, grateful that you do what you do. Um, I know sometimes it feels very lonely and, and sometimes it feels very scary to put yourself out there uh, into the internet void to share your truths that may be somebody's falsehoods. And so uh, as you navigate, uh, continue to uh, stay rested, uh, focus on the fun stuff, and uh, really excited for you and me on this next venture of of starting uh, this little shoe company that hopefully becomes a not so little shoe company, uh, but also you know the, the the impact of not just the thing, but why we do what we do is to help Asian American young folks and even our peers uh, feel like they can have a brand or think that they have a speaker or a friend or uh, an advocate. Uh, that they can really look up to and, and see themselves in. And so uh, grateful for you. Uh, best wishes to you and all that you're doing. Uh, much to celebrate in your personal life as well. And to your mother and to your family. Um, I'll, I'll see you uh, probably five times in May at least uh, all across the country as we uh, celebrate each other and to celebrate uh, uh, the organizations and the people that make our community wonderful. Uh, but Sam Hyun, thank you for joining us on episode 194 of The Earth Americans, and we will see you later. I want to thank Sam for joining us on The Earth Americans. He's such a great guy and has been such a good friend and, uh, dare I say, even a brother to me over the last few years as we've navigated difficult conversations and, and have uh, found opportunity to uh, engage with each other and become great friends on opposite coasts, me being in L.A. and Sam being in Boston. You can find Sam anywhere on the internet. Just search Samuel Hyun uh, on Instagram at Samuel J. Hyun. You got to add the initial J like you do on mine. You can find him on LinkedIn. And if you just Google Sam Hyun, uh, you will be able to find places where you can find him and also invite him to your company or your school to have him speak. We can be found at The Ears and Americans on Instagram, theearsandamericans.com. And you can find me, Jerry, at jerrywan.com to learn more about my speaking or on Instagram at jerryjwan.com. Or on LinkedIn, just search Jerry Wan. Thanks so much for joining us for another great conversation with one of our community leaders. Episode 194, we are nearing the end of this chapter of the Asian Americans, and we'll have a few more episodes as we wrap our 200th show and this chapter of our podcast in May of 2023. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to get your vaccines updated. Spend time with the ones that you love and things that make you happy. Continue to stay happy, safe, and healthy. Signing off for Dears and Americans, I am your host, Jerry Wan, and we'll see you next time.